0: This is Jim Wyatt with the Tennessee Titans. Hop on board with the On the Board Sports Podcast. You can put play on the board.
1: Yes! And welcome back to another edition of the On the Board Sports Podcast. I am your host, Will Terucci, a.k.a. Will C. coming to you from Long Island, New York. I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shawnee on the mic. Sean, it's another day of quarantine, but we got to make the best of this bad situation. But how are you making out?
0: Well, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Happy Wednesday, pal. Glad to be here. Will, how are you doing, sir?
1: Hanging in. Can't complain, man. Can't complain. You know, we're here doing another show because we have another very special guest. Sean, why don't you take it away for this one?
0: Yes, we do have another special guest coming from the Midwest, the Chi-Town. He covers and works for NBC Sports in Chicago. Talking about the one and only Rob Schaefer. Rob, how you doing, pal? Thank you for making some time. How you doing, pal? Uh,
2: pretty good. I, I think about as good as uh as it could be. Obviously, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on from from the quarantine uh, and beyond. So so pretty pretty good. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Having me on, and uh, yeah, I, I am in the Midwest right now, but actually, I'm from the East Coast originally. I'm from uh, from the Connecticut area, so okay. uh, shout out to East Coast! Shout out shout to out. the
0: East Coast! All right, definitely, Rob. Man, how did everything start for you in terms of covering the Bulls and NBC Sports? Uh, sh- uh, Chicago, how did everything start up uh, for you, pal?
2: Yeah, yeah, um. So, like I said, I'm from the East Coast originally. Uh, came out here um, for undergrad. I went to, went to Northwestern. Went to to journalism school there. Uh, kind of always knew I wanted to do sports reporting, sports media in in some capacity. That's what pulled me out there originally. Um, so, kind of not only fell in love with the uh, the kind of process of of sports reporting, writing about sports, you know, having and slinging takes and things of that nature. Um, so fell in love with the, with the profession and fell in love with the Chicago area at the same time. So my goal, I came out of school, uh, last June and my goal was to find, you know, something in, in the Chicago area that was going to allow me to, to do the thing I wanted to do, um, to use the the skills that I had, had built and whatnot. Um, I was fortunate, uh, a web editor slash writer position opened up at, at NBC Sports Chicago. I started doing that at the end of last summer. Um, and then was fortunate enough to move up to, uh, the bulls beat, uh, where I'm basically kind of our second writer, uh, supplementing, uh, my colleague, Casey Johnson, best in the business, uh, absolute legend been, you know, uh, on the bulls beat on and off for the last 25, 30 years. So, uh, it's, it's been a great experience. I mean, this, so this is my first, you know, I've been a follower of the bulls for a long time and, and a follower of the NBA and passionate about the NBA for a long time, but this is my first kind of full-time NBA beat experience. And when you, um, when you think about all the things that have happened this year you know from the for the bull specifically you talk about kind of an underwhelming third year of a rebuild uh all of the on court things that have been up and down and tumultuous and then you go into you know a global pandemic and the season is truncated it stopped midway through um and then the front office is completely overhauled for the first time in you know 22 years basically uh well at least um know a couple of the positions had been that long it it depends which position you're talking about for exact uh tenure but yeah so so just an unprecedented year in sports um pretty much across the board and, and especially in chicago uh so yeah it's been quite the wild ride quite the learning experience but um you know have been grateful for every second of it truthfully
1: rob did you have any idols growing up outside of sports you know realm like you know your parents did you look up to somebody that was a broadcaster at all that you wanted to pad yourself after who might that be
2: yeah that's so so because i'm a, a writer and that's my background i uh a, a lot in that field um and a lot in the in the sports realm um you know grew up reading bill simmons obviously and and while i was in school was actually lucky enough to to intern at the ringer so that that was a cool experience um i remember uh in terms of other reporters i mean david halberstrom is like an iconic uh, basketball writer reporter love him Roger Kahn uh, same thing but but on the baseball side um, I it's it's so funny to think now kind of how your taste evolves as you grow up but I remember listening to to like people like Colin Cowherd when I was growing up if you want to go on the broadcast side like right. just the ability to um, kind of just go and do just the, just the act of solo radio and and I always felt when I was growing up that, that he was one of the best doing it. Um, is such an impressive feat to me and as I kind of get my feet wet and uh, do radio hits and podcast appearances and things like that, you see how truly uh, you, you come to appreciate how truly uh, challenging that is. Um, so so those I, I would all consider idols. Um, I, I'm bad at the like favorite or best or most important thing. I, I'm bad at that off the top of my head, but those right those are the first ones that immediately um, immediately pop to mind uh, especially coming from Connecticut it was kind of a, an interesting blend uh, not really having one. Uh, like Nucleus or Sports City or, you know, one set of sports allegiances to follow, you kind of end up wading into the national waters a little bit and wading into a bunch of different sports spheres uh, growing up as a fan and then developing a, as a writer too. So, um, so yeah, I hope that answers the question. Off the top of my head, it, it's tough to rattle them off, but, uh, but yeah, those, right. those would be a few of them.
0: Definitely well said. Rob, when I think of uh, Northwestern, I know two of their most famous alumni is Mike uh, Greenberg and Mike uh, Elbon. Just talk about how much of a prestigious school that is when it comes to, you know, the broad uh, casting world and the sports world as well.
2: Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, And I should have actually mentioned Greenberg uh, because I remember like driving to middle school because um, i'd always miss the bus and you know i have a you know come, I, have, I have a great mother she would drive me every time i would i would miss the bus in the morning and and it kind of became a part of our ritual and our bonding that we would listen to mike and mike in the morning which you know on the east coast would be around i don't know if i started school at eight it was on it was on like six to ten so it'd be on during that drive yeah. so green greenberg is a big influence too um and i know he came from a chicago background and a, and a writing background as well so that's so that's a good name to mention will bond a legend in his own right I, I grew up knowing him as the tv guy and then you you come to have a new appreciation for all these people as you get in the industry and he was a legendary sports columnist too i mean you could go on jay Adonde, who now works for the school and i've been lucky enough to to meet a couple times um is just a tremendous uh dude and a legend in the industry uh you know rachel nichols um you could you go down the list of people currently in sports media that that are, that come from a dill um and that, I mean, yeah, that's it. It being such a prestigious program is what attracted me to it. It's what made me kind of shocked when I had the opportunity to go. I was, frankly, like surprised to <laughs> to be one of the you know lucky few that are selected or or whatever you wanna whatever verb you wanna use. Um, so that that's still something that I am uh, a little um, in disbelief of that I that I even would maybe one day be considered like in that class of people or maybe not one day like in the legendary but just to be in the same conversation in that sense that we share that allegiance um is something that's wild and i mean i couldn't say enough about the opportunities i got there it it was great to cover a division one football and basketball team while i was there um the great thing about northwestern too is you know they're not traditionally very good at many sports so if you're a (laughs) sports reporter trying to break in you're not competing with these full-time professional people like if you're uh if you go to a University of Wisconsin or in Ohio State, you're competing with people that do this as their full-time job. Um, you kind of get to get a taste of that experience as a student uh, in a place that feels like it's a big atmosphere, but but at the same time, um, it, it is intimate enough that, that, that you get to have the opportunities that you want. So, uh, you know, great professors, great people there. Uh, can't say enough about it. Um, And yeah, just to come from that tradition, like you walk through the halls and you see pictures, you see quotes, you see, you know, it gets brought up in classes and things like that. Like these are the people whose footsteps you are following. Uh, It's it's definitely an honor.
1: Absolutely is. And just to switch over now from to basketball and the Bulls in general, you know, the Bulls after the Michael Jordan years, they had their little runoff for a decade, just about it being the worst team in the NBA and, you know, draft picks galore, trading away people, everything like that, getting, getting back some, some players that were past their prime, really didn't help out. Then Derek Rose comes in in 2009, changes the culture, stays with them for about six to seven years. And now the Bulls are basically one of the bottom dwelling teams again in the league. What do you see with the Chicago Bulls that, that could get them back into the, uh, national stage, if you will, just to get them back into playoff relevancy again.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, I would point back to the, uh, the front office changes that, that I think I mentioned in, uh, a little bit earlier as being the biggest, uh, kind of variable that could contribute to that. Cause when you look and, uh, it, obviously the last dance documentary has even shined more of a light on the disparity between the bull's greatness of old and kind of what it's been in the 21st century even when you look at how that dynasty broke up, I mean, you see a lot of fractures in the organization that even while they were winning and were at the pinnacle of not just basketball, but the sports world in general, um, there were these fractures that kind of seemed to trickle down from the top leadership wise. Uh, and, you know, you saw a lot of those parallels start to, to crop up again um, in the post-Rose years when you kind of get mired in a rebuild. Um, you know, John Paxson, who was the old executive, Vice President of Basketball Operations, just got replaced by Arturis He He's even admitted that um, the organization just got a little too stuck in their ways, uh, fell back a little bit too much on, you know, traditional logic that led them to, you know, good success in the Rose era and and a good track record of, of draft picks and things like that. When you look at getting a guy like Jimmy Butler in the late first round, um, they, you know, they, and on and on from there, like, they had a good success record of building teams in that era, but basketball has changed so much even in the last 10 years that there's just a a modernized uh analytically focused to a degree like there are just qualities of a front office and a management structure uh that the bulls didn't seem to have until they've kind of put this intention and this work behind it that they have in the last couple weeks um to to now they're looking at you know revamping their scouting department and and having multiple people in the decision-making room, uh, from an executive vice president of basketball operations to a general manager that's very involved, you've got a, an assistant general manager, uh, assistant general manager from there, and uh, a vice president of player personnel. Like, they're they're working now to empower a lot of different people and a lot of smart, forward-thinking minds in their front office. Whereas before, those jobs were kind of, you know, the jobs of that should be done by a lot of people, but were done by you know one or two. Uh, and people were wearing a lot of different hats and that can be taxing um, on decision-making. Uh, so I, I think that from a management perspective uh, is encouraging and, and where they, they got to continue to improve to to get back to where they want to be um, on the court. You know, there's talent. I, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Uh, I, you know, Zach Levine had a tremendous year this year, um, you know, established himself as a real premier scorer in the league. He's still got, you know, work on his defense and playmaking to do. Who knows if he's, you know, a number one player on a good team. He hasn't really proven that he can be that yet. Um, so that's that's a step he'll have to take. Um, Lowry Markkinen took a step back this year. You know, if you're a fan, you hope that the the front office can empower the right people on the coaching staff, uh, whether it comes from a coaching change or just a change in philosophy, if they, if they do decide to hang on um, to Jim Boylan. You hope that something happens there that will empower guys like Lowry Markkinen, uh, continue to empower guys like Kobe White. Um, Because this year, I mean, for you know, without sugarcoating, it was kind of a lost season. It was a year that you wanted to take another step forward, and outside of Levine, really, um, nobody took a massive step forward. And the team, certainly, you know, when you look at the record now that their their season is likely over, um, didn't either. So, you know, it's it's not an easy question. There's a lot of different factors to it, but. Um, you know, there's, there's a level where this league is driven by superstars and they don't seem to have that yet. They don't seem to have the, the the highest tier of superstar at this point. Um, and if they ever are to get to a point where they're in a position to acquire that everything that I just mentioned is going to have to improve from a cultural standpoint. Um, Mm. so the hope is you take the small steps now, and then in a year or two, when these guys start becoming available, you can leverage the big market and the brand name recognition. Um, into getting one of those top 10, 15 guys that can put you over the top.
0: Rob, as we know, this past uh, February, the an all-star game was played in uh, Chicago. Um, if you were there, um, how did that go? Because it seemed like it was a whole bunch of fun. Everybody had um, a good time, uh, number one. And number two, I know the chances are maybe slim, but Anthony uh, Davis could become a free an agent. And he's from there, born and raised. And the Bulls are going to have a ton of cash to give to him. What's your thoughts on the Bulls maybe making a push to bring Anthony home?
2: Yeah, people would love to see that around here, man. And um, I, I, you know, I it, it's hard to speak to the feasibility of it right now because, um, frankly, until the Bulls kind of put a lot of these things that I'm talking about in philosophical in a philosophical sense into action, they're they're not quite a free agent destination right now, even for a hometown person, especially when you look at the situation that Davis is in in LA. Um, a lot's going to depend on what he decides to do with his player option, whether he he exercises it or uh, for this season, uh, or if he um, puts it off, declines it, and then decides to sign an extension with the Lakers. I, I haven't looked deep into the pros and cons of that, especially because the, the salary cap environment with the, with the pandemic is so fraught right now. We just don't know what the cap is going to look like. So from a practicality standpoint, um, I I can't answer super reliably. Um, I I will say of all-star weekend, I was there and I I even forget it's, it's so crazy just the twists and turns of of the world these days. When I was talking about the first season on the beat and how wild it was, I completely glossed over the fact that there was, you know, NBA all-star weekend in our home city. Like we were, you know, so, so we had all forces out for that and, and you're right. It was a ton of fun. Um, it was the the unfortunate underscoring of the event was that there wasn't much Bulls representation there, and it's kind of a symbol that of how far they still have to go. Zach Levine was in the three-point shooting contest. He was knocked down the first round, and that, that was pretty much it. Um, even Kobe White, who made a huge push after the All-Star break, um, statistically and as a, as a player, uh, pretty much in all facets of his game, um, he wasn't selected for the Rising Stars team. Wendell Carter, who was, was injured at the time. So it's it, it's all just kind of a perfect metaphor for where the Bulls are right now. Um, so that was unfortunate. Um, the news that all of this front office change was coming, though, did first get broken at that All-Star weekend. So you could, there's almost an argument to be made that that was one of the wake-up call deciding factors of, OK, we really got to do something different here. Uh, so I, I think All-Star weekend was fun. There was a lot of good showcased and, and shined a light on in terms of Chicago basketball history and and how important that is. Uh, to the city, even if it's not directly tied to the Bulls, there's a pedigree of of professional and even people who didn't make it to the pro players in Chicago that that are a huge part of the city's lifeblood. So that was that was great to to get a little bit more education on that and to see that highlighted. Um, and then it even might have spurred some change for the Bulls. So uh, it was fun, and um, I, I think the next time it's here, which you know, I could be another 25, 30 years. I think the last one was in '88. So the next time, hopefully, you know, we'll have a bull or two there, but um, can't complain too much from a personal level. I mean, it was just wild. Like everybody across the media sphere was there celebrities, like the entire city was just jumping like downtown area. You could hop building to building like traffic um, events going on everywhere. Um, So it really was a once in a lifetime uh, experience. No doubt about that.
1: You mentioned uh, Kobe White before uh, him having this great rookie season. But I want you to talk about Chris Dunn. This guy was a top 10 pick a couple of years ago in the NBA draft, drafted by Minnesota. Then he comes over to Chicago and really hasn't done really much. But talk to us about how much of a player Chris Dunn uh, is to the Chicago Bulls organization and even just what, what his future looks like in general.
2: Sure. So, so Chris is a, Chris is an interesting case uh, because you're right. He he was a he was a part of that Jimmy Butler trade. He wasn't the crown jewel of it, but this trade that has kicked off this rebuild that is now uh, has finished its third year. It was him. It was uh, Lowry Markkinen, and it was Zach Levine. Uh, it was the rights to Lowry Markkinen, but essentially those three players coming back, and it was the idea. This is going to be the core uh, that this right. rebuild is going to be constructed around. Lowry, uh, as I mentioned, had a down year this year. Zach has blossomed a little bit more pretty much every year he's been here since he recovered from his ACL tear that he had a couple years back. Uh, but Chris has kind of been this enigma where um, he came in, he was given a shot at the starting point guard and the, and the point guard of the future role. And you know, he's, he, it's not that he doesn't have a, a future in the league at all, but he just, he didn't grow into that specific designation. Uh, so, th- which is why this year, even though if you look at his counting stats, Um, I think he was down around like seven points a game, which is less than he had been in the last, you know, year or so, uh, year or two with the bulls where he was up around 13, 14. Um, but that, I think that belies like really what was one of the better years of his career, if not the best, um, because he really established an identity as this defensive ball hawk, really rare player on the defensive side of the ball. Um, he's really got extraordinary length and size and physicality at the position. Um, he he was shot. He really, you know, star point guards were coming to Chicago. And, and even though the team had an underwhelming season, like if you go and look at Trey Young's numbers matched up with Chris Dunn this year, like he pretty much swallowed them up. Like if you're like me and you watch mostly Bulls basketball um, and you kind of look at the season Trey Young has had and you look at that compared to the way he played against the Bulls, it's like, wow, like it's, it's really amazing the job Chris did on him. I, I think when he, uh, he sprained his MCL uh, back on the first day of February, and I think at that point, he was either first or second in the NBA in steals. Steals is kind of a one-dimensional stat. You know, there's a couple different directions you could go to evaluate the uh, how much that measures defensive impact, but it's still impressive. Um, and when Otto Porter Jr. got hurt back in November, they slid Chris into the starting lineup. Uh, they slid him in at the small forward spot, played really small. And they went on a stretch where they played 500 basketball for the month of December and, and had a top two or three defense in the league, statistically at least. Uh, forced a lot of turnovers, played aggressively, uh, and it became part of the identity of the team in their best stretch of basketball of the season. Uh, and Chris was a huge part of that. So the the conundrum with him is he's a restricted free agent after this year's rookie deal is up. And if you want to think big, like the Anthony Davis idea, uh, if you want to start thinking big in that way, you can't tie up too much long-term money in people that aren't ultimately going to be a part of the future, it, 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 not just the future, the future of the franchise ascending from, you know, poor to good to great. Um, so is, is he is he that type of player that's going to be a foundational piece there? Uh, I would say I'm not sure, and it, it doesn't seem to me like he's necessarily a long-term fit. Uh, that being said, this coronavirus thing is just going to screw with the salary cap, and it's going to screw with teams' long-term plans in a way that I don't think we fully appreciate yet. So, is there is there a possibility where they extend him the qualifying offer and that's his best offer or or they find a way to keep him on you know something that's in the five to seven million dollar range as opposed to the eight to ten which is what some people might have guessed for him um that's all a question um certainly I, i i think as someone who watched chris really grow a lot this year as a person as a player um and kind of find himself i i just think there's certainly a role for him especially on a winning team um especially if he's able to improve his jump shooting. That's been the question on him for the last two or three years, and he works at it, but it hasn't gotten appreciably better. I think he might have even be been his lowest percentage this year, if not one of the lowest. Uh, he shot 25% from three. And, um, you know, in the in the modern NBA at the guard spot, that's just not going to cut it for a starter and, and, a, and a core key piece, no matter how great you are defensively. Uh, so we'll see. I, I I think ideally for him, his role is a defensive specialist on a good team, um, on a team friendly, reasonable contract. And unfortunately the bulls just might not be able to offer him that situation right now. So if they do part ways, I don't know if I would say that, you know, his time in Chicago was a failure. It just, he just didn't quite live up to the distinction that being a part of that Jimmy Butler trade, uh, imbued on him from the beginning. So, um, but he's also, uh, I think he's a Providence guy and he's from new London, Connecticut. So, you know, I mentioned the Connecticut <laughs> thing. That's, those are, those are my roots. So, uh, appreciated for that. Yeah, there's there's a melding there, but uh, uh, yeah, lo- love Chris. He's a great dude, and um, yeah, like I said, he grew out as a player this year. But whether he's a long term fit for the Bulls, it's 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 certainly an open ended question.
0: Um. Yeah, Rob, another player that I had high hopes for when he came into the league and a visited, workout were uh, Denzel of uh, time and I thought that he was gonna you know because. I feel like he could have played the one, two, or the three. I feel like he could have, that he could defend the one, two, or the the three, but things didn't really work out for him there, and he may not be back. What's your thoughts on him?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked about him, because I I do think that Denzel's time in Chicago has been fraught, um, and and maybe even mismanaged, um, for for reasons that I've never been totally clear on, and it doesn't seem like many around the, the team have been totally clear on um he's a guy I agree with you coming out of school uh he's a lottery pick obviously and you know I, I don't think anyone had illusions that he was a, a superstar player but you're right he, he has the versatility to play one through one through three he can handle um I, I think he might be the best passer on the team pure just a pure passer wise uh when when he does get opportunities um on a team that wants to space the floor play read and react shoot a ton of threes um, like he was one of the few players on the roster that was a plus shooter and really a plus decision maker. I mean, there, there are heat check jumpers and there are little things you could quibble with um, that, you know, most young players are going to, are going to deal with. But for the most part um, I, I thought he was uh, either underutilized or misutilized on the team. Cause I thought given the style of play they wanted to, to play with, he, he could have been a big asset to them. Um, but he just found himself throughout the last year or two, um, especially under Jim Boylan, kind of uh, in the doghouse uh, for, um, you know, maybe there's a level of it where uh, his defense wasn't up to snuff. Uh, I know Jim, I think, has used that as, a, as part of the rationale before. Um, you know, maybe it's just something where you have other players that you want to showcase or give opportunities to. I, I don't know, but um, you're right. He, he, like Dunn, is a restrictive free agent at the end of this year, um, so they'll have a decision to make on him. Uh, based on the way that his tenure has played out to this point, I can't imagine a scenario where he's back. Um, But he's another guy that I think on a good team as a bench kind of playmaking forward uh, that makes his open ones. I mean, that's never not going to be valuable in the league. Um, So, you know, he's another guy that I think is a a role player on a good team uh, is is his ideal scenario. And the Bulls might not be able to offer him that, but uh, I I think it is unfortunate, especially this year, the way that, his uh his tenure played out because because when he played he always seemed to take advantage of it and then there were times when he would kind of just mysteriously phase in and out of the rotation um so again it's just a reality of, of basketball i guess it, it is a business at the end of the day
1: rob when you look at the bulls and how they're almost in the bottom tier of points per game almost rebounding just about and their offensive rating is pretty low itself I know my partner, Sean, alluded to Anthony Davis in the offseason. If they, if they look to sign him since he's from Chicago, everything like that, it makes sense in my book anyway. Uh, I'm a Laker fan, too, saying that. So, you know, definitely makes sense for him to go back home. But for the Bulls, just in general, what is it, the season's over for them. What do they have to do? What do they need to go out? What is on top of their shopping list right now for their offseason?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, Uh, because at the end of the day, this is one of the youngest teams in the league and and people can talk about a lottery pick all they want. But, you know, uh, another 19 or 20 year old added to the mix isn't necessarily going to fix any of those larger problems. Uh, And the cap space thing isn't really a factor for them until next summer. Um, I think I think the 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 solution a lot of people would look to and it's unclear what their decision on this is going to be yet. Uh, but if a new coach is in the cards, I think there is the chance for that to be a really big swing factor. because um, when you just look at the individual talents, like I could lay them all out in front of you and on paper, like even going into the season, there was playoff talk that I don't think was totally misguided. I mean, there was no guarantee of it, but uh, in a week east, like why, why shouldn't they, with the with the roster that they have, have been able to compete for that spot? And now you find yourself not just missing the playoffs, but missing like missing the playoffs in a way that, they only had to be within six games of the eighth seed as it turned out, as the wizards were uh, to make this kind of 22 team playoff. And they still weren't even at that threshold. So that's something that they got to grapple with. And I, I think the reasons a new coach um, could potentially help and, and the new front office situation definitely will help is because the, the incremental steps that they need to take forward next year are in player development and just in execution. Like if you look they were in a ton, a ton of close games uh, this year because they defended well and they really competed and played hard night in, night out. You can't say that uh, was a flaw or a fault of this team at all. Um, but there were just more nights than not when down the stretch, um, mental lapses would occur. Uh, I would poke a hole in the in the defensive scheme that they played, which was uh, focused on heavily blitzing pick and rolls that left them open on on the back end. If rotations aren't you know perfect, which for a young team. They're not always going to be, it leaves you open, especially against the smarter teams and the teams that can pick you apart. It leaves you open to defensive breakdowns late, uh, late in games. So I think late game execution uh, was a problem for them this year. Uh, I think a little bit of rigidity in their system. So I just mentioned that defensive system they played, uh, they stuck to perhaps a little bit too rigidly at times. I think their offensive system, you could say the same thing for it. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a modernized offense philosophically. It, it's all threes. It's all layups. It's, it's eschewing the mid-range jumper pretty much entirely. Um, but when you have players on your team, Kobe White, uh, Zach Levine, I, I think Wendell Carter, uh, is a pretty good mid post player and a good player from the elbows, Lowry marketing too. Um, I think there was just an adjustment for, for players like that to play in this very specific uh, modernized way that maybe was stuck to a little bit too rigidly. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think, I, I think a new coach or at least fresh eyes management wise, uh, will do a lot to kind of loosen people up and, and break people out of that, uh, rigidity and, and perhaps, you know, have people moving in the right direction and to, and to feel empowered, um, to keep improving their game. Uh, Lowry marketing is the biggest example of that. Uh, I don't think there's one culprit of his regression. I, I think a, a part of it is him um, needing to kind of seize command uh, of the offense a little bit more or of his offensive game a little bit more as the number two face of the franchise, or at least that's what he's billed as. Um, and I think some of it comes from the coaching staff of not intentionally getting him involved and drawing up plays for him in games. Um, so yeah, when, when you look at late game execution, when you look at just kind of mental lapses, When you look at player development not going the way that they wanted to this year, um, a new coach could potentially help in those areas. It's a complicated decision because you might have to overhaul the the entire coaching staff, which they just instituted last year. There's a lot of things that make that decision complex, but it is, um, you know, purely from a practical practicality standpoint, it is the biggest change that they can make right now because they're pretty much locked into the roster that they have for next season at, at least. Um, and with, again, the tumultuous salary cap situation of the league right now, right. Uh, it's unclear when they're gonna be able to like get aggressive in making personnel moves, so.
0: Hmm. Sure. Rob, speaking of hometown guys, what, one of my favorite players coming into the league, Chicago's own was Jabari Harker. Uh, and, um, you know, the Bucks obviously had to make a choice and they did. So Jabari came home, but his stint in Chicago was not that good. And he obviously uh, left the town. Um, Why don't you think that his stint in uh, Chicago went as good? Because I think if he's given a chance that he could, you know, be a good piece for a very good team.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I, I, I could speak from a, from a outsider and educated observers perspective on that. I wasn't around the team at that time. So I, I don't know, I don't have any kind of inside knowledge of what relationships were frayed or anything like that, but, um, I think it it ultimately came down to, uh, uh, it seems to me, and at least talking to people that were there, um, a little bit of a mentality issue of he just wasn't necessarily enough of a of a two-way player um, to figure into the long-term plans, and, and it didn't seem like there was a commitment to improve on the defensive end. Um, again, I, I can't say that from personal experience from Jabari, and I wouldn't say anything personal about him, but that was uh, that's a common theme that comes up when you talk about him is that defensive intensity, um, and yeah, it was just a situation where, possibly fueled by that, possibly fueled by um, not being the type of offensive player in, in terms of being a read and react uh, ability to facilitate and play make all the time. He he fell out of Jim Boylan's rotation uh, basically by the trade deadline last year, uh, and ended up getting flipped um and then signed with atlanta at the beginning of this year and it was putting up good numbers for them at the beginning of the year he even came back to chicago and i think i mean the bulls blew them out but he had uh 24 points i don't have the box score in front of me but something like that um in that game and, and you know filled the stat sheet in the best way he could uh but even the atlanta tenure on a bad team he ends up in sacramento by the end of this year so it's unfortunate that it didn't work out in Chicago for for Jabari. He's still, I will say, venerated in the city for his history um, as a high school player. And I don't think you'll ever be, I don't think anybody will ever take that away from him. I I don't think there's any hatred um, or or animosity from, you know, just because it doesn't work out with the Bulls doesn't take away, you know, where you come from and your roots and everything like that. Um, But, you know, it's an example. it, It is an example of a, a player that, seems to be bouncing around in a way that, you know, it, it might, there might be something to do with him kind of if he's the common denominator in all these different situations in Milwaukee, Chicago, Atlanta, Sacramento, uh, Washington is where they traded him. So he obviously bounced from there too. There might be something to examine there, but but it's also an example of the Bulls kind of bringing in uh, a guy uh, with an uncertain role for him at a high Contract figure. Do you think back? I'm thinking back to Dwayne Wade as another recent example of a guy like that, um, where it doesn't pan out. And when you talk about them not being a free agent destination or or a desirable location for for top tier talent in the league, um, that's a factor in that. Is the the relationships that you have with players when they come in and they're they're gone within a year. Um, So again, none of these answers are easy, but I think for Jabari, it, it just wasn't the right fit. And hopefully, he's able to find his right fit wherever his NBA travels, take him next.
1: Rob, there was a 30 for 30 documentary that came out. Everybody watched it. I'm sure you watched it as well about Michael Jordan and the last dance and how his time with the bulls got started up and all the way up to the 97, 98 season. Uh, what were your thoughts on that documentary?
2: Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely watched it. I watched it like it was my job. Like it was, it definitely carried us for, uh, for a couple weeks there with the season being suspended. I mean, it just couldn't have been more perfectly timed. They were able to move it up. Uh, I think it's just incredibly impressive that they were able to do that at documentary that you're working on for three or four years. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, we have a pandemic and, you know, we don't have any, we we don't have any wheels turning on the sports front. Like people are looking for an escape. They're looking for a way to be entertained and and you're able to move it up. I, I think I read when they moved it up, when the announcement was made that it was getting moved to April 19th, um, when the announcement got made in the second or third week of March, they only had three episodes fully finished and they just, you know, had to blitz to, to get all the final, uh, eyes dotted and T's crossed. Um, so that's just so impressive. And then I thought the final product, you know, bull, former bulls have quibbled with it. Horace Grant has been vocal and he didn't like his portrayal. Uh, Scotty Pippen behind the scenes, reports have leaked out that he wasn't thrilled with the way that he was portrayed. Um, the reality is it's just to get that behind the scenes behind the scenes footage and to get the the perspective of Michael Jordan which is what made the documentary so compelling uh you had to concede some editorial control to him so it it really was told from his eyes to me I appreciated that because he's so uh not in the media these days you don't hear from him much and then to just get 10 straight hours of him like talking trash to old opponents and relitigating all these old beefs and and you you come to appreciate especially for someone like me who wasn't alive to see him at his best uh, or really even see him at all and, and have any vivid memory of it um it was just a great reminder a great history lesson a great educational experience and then when you pair that with the fact that i mean the espn 30 for 30 guys like they're just as good as it gets from a production value standpoint from a storytelling standpoint the soundtrack was on point um just on down the line um it was the perfect confluence of the world needed it, they were able to move it up, and they had this product that because it was Michael Jordan and because it was so well-made, the product was just of such a quality that it had a serious impact. A lot of people watched it, A lot. Of, not only that, then the conversation would kind of continue throughout the week, um, we got to watch like, people talk a lot about like, what if Michael Jordan had played in the era of social media, like we kind of got to see it because Nothing else is going on, so like these talk shows and even myself and like our website, we're t- we're treating the Michael Jordan Isaiah Thomas beef almost as if it's happening in real time, like debating who's right and who's wrong and uh, who should have done what. Um, so it was it, it was just interesting and entertaining and a ton of fun. I'm sad it had to end. Um, I I know ESPN's got some more stuff lined up in the McGuire Sosa documentary. They're doing this uh, Lance documentary right now that I haven't watched. Um, but yeah, it, it was a great bridge because now you think two weeks later, now we have news that the NBA might be coming back. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it was just a good bridge to to tide us over. And uh, hopefully things can keep moving in a forward-facing direction in a, in a safe way.
0: Yeah, Rob, to piggyback off that, Rob, um, my final question uh, for you, pal, is, Exactly what you just said. Uh, the NBA came out saying that, uh, you know, they have this proposed 22 team thing, 13 Western Conference teams, nine Eastern Conference teams and playing for the eighth seed, so on and so forth. I don't like the fact that they're waiting till July 31st. I mean, that's a long time. Huh? I mean, it's not long, but it's not certainly close. Uh, what's your What's your take on when the league comes back if this proposed deal goes through? What's your take?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, it it sounds like it it is for sure going to go through. It sounds pretty declarative at this point. So that's a step forward that they haven't had Uh, in terms of the July 31st date. um, I just, I just have got to trust that they are doing the math correctly in terms of how long do we need for the players that are going to have to come back and play to get back into training camp, to get back into the right condition, um, where they're not going to jump back on the floor. And, And not only are we risking uh, not only do we have the health risks involved in a pandemic uh, with this restart, you also have injury risk, especially for older players where, you know, we, none of them have played in three months. Um, it would be, I think, irresponsible to to let them just, you know, walk right back on the floor day one and play. Um, I, you know, we got to look out for, for player safety uh, in terms of the virus and in terms of injury. So uh, I think the July 31st date, I trust that they've done the math and how the travel is going to break out and all that different kind of stuff and that it'll work out well. Um, We know that the back end of that timetable looks like it'll be October 12th at the very, very latest. If the NBA Finals goes to a game seven, that's when that would be. Um, So it'll just be interesting to see how that plays because at the beginning of this, I don't think anybody expected, and obviously the information with uh, the pandemic has kind of evolved and we've learned more and had to adapt and adjust. I don't think anybody anticipated at the beginning of this that the season would be wrapping up in October so we'll see. I mean, the the Christmas day date for the 2020-21 season has been reported. But if the season goes into mid-October, it's going to be tough to turn around and start a season right. even that early. So right. we might not even see basketball after this season until 2021. That's a concern. Um, and there's just so many financial considerations that go into that. And, and then you got to think about, does the league calendar just change forever now? Like if we start the next season in January, they're not going to want to shorten next season, too. So now you're talking about maybe the NBA's calendar is just January to September every year. It's, it's, there, there's just so much to think about with that Um, for the, for the, for the time being uh, I just trust that the league took so long to make this decision and we're so careful about it. Um, And we're so deliberate in talking to everyone that they're making the decision that's in the, in the circumstances that's safest for everybody. So uh, you know, July 31st, it's a long time to wait but we've waited this long. So, you know, might as well just get excited now and, uh, you know, get ready to start looking forward to it and actually have an end date in sight that we can look forward to. That's been something that's been missing in the uncertainty uh, amid the pandemic, so.
1: My final question for you, Rob, is you're a Connecticut guy. I'm a New Yorker. You're in Chicago right now. I was in Chicago once, great town. I'm a foodie. I love pizza. You're a Connecticut guy. I'm sure you New probably Haven, went to New Haven. All... Probably went to New Haven for pizza. Okay. New Haven's supposedly the capital of pizza up there. That's self, that's self, that's a self thing at that point in time. What is better out of the three? New York pizza, New Haven style pizza, or Chicago Deep Dish style pizza? Floor's all yours.
2: I'm, I'm glad you asked this. I feel very strongly about this. It's New Haven, when <laughs> I mean, you call it the capital the pizza capital of the world. No doubt. There's just absolutely no doubt about it. I get angry. I'm, I'm a, I'm a very even keel person. I try to be okay. the reporter, you know, I get viscerally angry when people challenge me on it. You know, I get, when I get fired up. I get fired up. I, I absolutely believe when you take the top four or five pizzerias in New Haven, when you talk about Pepe's Sally's bar modern, just the, the thin crust, it's such a distinctive style, but it's, it's still tasteful. It's still pizza. Um, and those are just I mean, those are those are just for the best pies you're ever going to find in the world. I, I would never disrespect New York pizza. I've I've okay. spent a lot of time in New York City in my life. Um, and I have friends from Long Island. I've, I don't, I've never been to Long Island personally, but um, I have friends from up there that that say great things. So I would never dispute that. Um, so I'd have those one too, for sure. Um, Chicago uh, is not going to register on my radar, I'm not a deep dish guy. Don't think it's pizza uh, it's glorified lasagna to me. Uh, you can pull the quote. It's not, you can pull the quote if you want it. I'm, I'm on record as this. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't need to mince words about it. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. So, uh, I'm new Haven all the way. Number one, New York. I would never disrespect it. If, if somebody said it was better than new Haven, I would passionately disagree with them. I might think a little less of them, but I couldn't fight them too hard on it. (laughs) That's the Chicago stuff, man, though. It's just not, it's just not it. That's all I can say. It's just not it. Okay.
0: R- Rob Schaefer, a.k.a. glorified lasagna. Well, that's a hot <laughs> take right there, Will.
1: Absolutely. Again, I'm a New Yorker. I think New York is the capital for pizza, although recently we've been hearing about New Haven. So it's everybody's opinion at the end of the day. That's it. That's yeah. all I
2: once all this madness is over, you got to take take a trip down 95 or, or the Met, or Metro North or however you would do it, um, and give it a shot. Uh, I would definitely say um, Pepe's and Sally's are your top. Those are the two like most notorious. And then if you like what you find, Modern is a little bit. You know, in New Haven it can get a little crazy because people know the quality of it, and and people it, it's really the only reason tourists would even come through New Haven in the first place is for that. So there there is a lot of commotion around it. Uh, but Modern and Bar are two that uh, uh, that are kind of a little bit more under the radar, but are also great. It's, if you go to Bar, the mashed potato pizza, that was like the soundtrack of my childhood was mashed potato bacon pizza. And people look at me like I'm crazy, but I love it. I'm looking it's at great. you like
1: you're crazy right that now. That sounds man. yummy, though.
2: I'm mashed potato you, bacon crazy. pizza. That sounds um, good, man. T- I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Just believe me. If you ever get the chance, you got to do it. I believe you, but <laughs> You got to do it.
0: That was awesome. Rob, man, thank you for taking some time to come on the show. Before you go, how do the people follow you and everything you do on social media?
2: No doubt, yeah. So uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at, uh, at Rob underscore Shafe. Um, that's the the best place to kind of see, I will have kind of a running feed of my work and just general thoughts and things like that on the Bulls and the NBA. Um, NBCSportsChicago.com, you can find articles uh from myself and Casey Johnson uh we've we're trying to hit all this stuff from all angles and the Bulls Talk podcast is uh, our NBC Sports Chicago Bulls podcast um we have a lot of great guests on there routinely um so yeah next week we've got we're rolling out um I don't know how many of your listeners would be local Chicago but next week we're rolling out uh Derrick Rose week we're playing some old uh games from the Derrick Rose era uh, which should be a lot of fun and we'll have a lot of fun you know uh features and and blog posts and different stuff up on the website and on the podcast uh to supplement that so so yeah definitely uh if you go to at rob underscore shape on twitter though you'll find all the rest of it it's always i'm all it's always flowing around there so appreciate you guys uh having me on
1: thank you for coming thank you for here. taking
0: the time rob I appreciate no you doubt. continue to be a uh, safe pal. thank you again no doubt. You, yeah you guys too well, that was the one and only Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports in Chicago. Well, we learned a lot about the Bulls' past, present, and uh, future uh, coming up, well.
1: Yeah, not only that, we learned a little bit about New Haven-style pizza as well. So, <laughs> we <laughs> nah, <did. laughs> but in, in, in all seriousness, though, we did learn a lot about the Chicago Bulls, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, and where, not only where they are right now, but what, what their plans about where they're going to go from next season out is just absolutely pretty cool uh, to see it from a guy that actually works for NBC sports network, uh, Chicago. So that's pretty cool.
0: That's definitely,
1: well, any final thoughts about No, no final thoughts here. Just the one, the one final thought that I have is just, you know, wherever you may be, just stay safe. Thank you for every essential worker out there. And, you know, especially if you're out there right now, protesting, whatever it is, whatever the case may be, just stay safe and be smart. Likewise, out all. all this. Likewise, well, likewise I, I
0: echo your uh, sentiments. Uh, no final thoughts from me. So for my partner, William Trucci, a.k.a. M.O.C., and for our featured guest, Rob Schaefer of NBC Sportsnet in Chicago, I'm your host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Sean on the Mic, signing out for On the Board Sports. Be safe and stay safe. Peace out.